What is the truth about resiliency? Today, we're going to be unpacking this label, this elusive thing that some of us have and some of us don't. And I have a very special guest on the show today, Ed Beard, the question professor and one of my mentors and dear friends, is going to help me unpack this subject of resiliency. Today is also exciting because it is the informal launch of the Embolden Label community. So let's get started. Hey, this is Beandrine, formerly known as, oh, good Lord, we don't have time for that. This is My Self-Worth is a Size Zero, a podcast brought to you by Embolden Label. Here, you'll turn your negative inner dialogue into a goal-crushing identity. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you let someone see you from the inside out? That's what I thought. That makes my resiliency bones start to like tingle, (laughs) the fear when the recording button goes in. Uh, Thanks for joining me today on My Self-Worth is a Size Zero. This podcast used to be Tear Out the Tags, and the concept around that is removing the negative labels that are holding us back. But what I realized while putting out that concept is that labels are critically important to our safety, and it is valuable to know who we are, what we believe in, so that we can keep ourselves safe from the negative people that might be making us feel like our self-worth is a size zero. Today is really exciting. It is the launch, the informal launch of the Embolden Label community, where we can courageously show up with confidence while chasing our dreams and really unlocking ourselves from this habit of how we show up in the world. And informal for the rest of December means free 90 free. It means you can come hang out with us for free and get all of these amazing skills and have conversations about who we want to be and how we want to accomplish and what types of relationships we want to have. And, um, and hopefully this community will continue to grow as we dive off here into our 2023 goals. Now, the community is a place where we can come together and support each other and courageously make the choices to show up differently in our lives so that we can really design the life that we desire. Who's it for? It is for people who feel like they have so much more to offer than is recognized by most people. So those who know themselves inside and think, I know I have so much more to offer. I know I have so many gifts and talents. And maybe you're misjudged often by other people. It is just one of those places that there isn't a community for that. There isn't a place to go and meet and say, hey, I want to show up differently. I know I have so much more to offer. So that is who this is for. I want to quickly touch on my background and development. And that has been um, really my own journey of going through years of struggle and not knowing what to do with it. And I had a therapist. Now I have noticed people either love or hate therapy. They are either all for it or totally against it. And I believe that therapy is really meant to pull things to the surface and work through kind of the hardship and what, what was really going on at the time. And then I learned how to coach from my special guest who's joining me today. I'm so excited to have him. And coaching to me is more about taking someone in their current state and pushing them forward outside of their comfort zone. Now, what happened is I had these two amazing mentors that kind of taught me both sides of that fence. One was very soft and warm and wonderful. 
And the other one was very strong and very resilient and very encouraging and pushing me forward. And I noticed that most people either love coaching or love therapy, but there's this gap that lives kind of in the middle of those two things. So once I pull up the past and heal it and learn to believe in myself, I then have to allow someone to push me forward. But there's this fear that sits in the middle of those two things. And that is doing that, jumping over that gap requires me to really step outside of my comfort zone. And it feels like falling off a cliff to show up differently in your life. So that is where I developed my skill set. My coach and mentor believed in me until I caught up. And so I always say that in my community, my job is to see you through a lens that you may not own the glasses for. Um, I also recently, well, not recently, about two years ago, I realized that there are certain tags that we wear, certain labels that we believe about ourselves, that if someone comes and pushes you, it's locked or blocked by trauma. So that prompted me to go and get a master's certificate in an inner healing modality that is so amazing. And I'm just really excited to tell all of my community about it. Today, we are going to be talking about a subject that makes me like have the sweats. Um, resiliency is a label that I don't think I ever had had a conversation about in my life until I met my mentor, Ed Beard, who's joining us today. Hi, Ed. Hey there. <laughs> Um, Ed is the co-owner of the Employer's Edge, and they are a company that does executive soft skills development. So I always tell people they teach people how to be better people. Um, I'm sure Ed will expand on that as we get started, but he is also so much more than that to me. He is a wonderful poet. He's a um, draft horse driver. He's a polymath, meaning he is really good at a lot of random things which is probably why we were drawn to each other in the first place. He's a father, um, a surrogate father to me, such an encourager, a challenger. And um, well, he we call him the question professor because he's an incredibly good listener. And listening seems to be something that is almost a lost art in today's world. And so as you, um, for those who are not live on the call, we have an, a live audience today. And Ed was actually already diving into questions with our live audience before we got started. So I'm so excited to have a conversation with you about resiliency. I'm curious, Ed, if I just threw, I have a ball actually, hold on. You're going to love this. If I threw this ball at you in conversation and I said, Ed, who are you? And I just threw it at you. How would you respond to that? Well, that, that, that's a great question. And it's not a great question just for the answer, but can people answer that question? And that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Well, you know who I am? Uh, I want to be known for someone who always pursues understanding over being right. I want to be known for giving more than I take. I want to be known for being curious and, and um, a truly a helpful person. Now, if you look at, you know, I'm a Christian man, and if you look at the Bible, my Romans gift is the gift of encouragement. People know me for being encouraging and giving them uh, hope. That's what I want to be known for. It's so interesting to me that I gave you a bunch of labels and you gave me conversation about what you want to be known for. Hmm. 
could you mean? could you label any of the things that you just shared? Sounds like encourager encourager would be one. Yeah. Um, you know what? So resilience is has, is a huge part of the uh, success equation. Uh, and encouragement is a big part of resilience. The ability to self-encourage is a critical part of success, and it helps overcoming um, low resiliency. Mm. But self-encouragement is an art. Why? Uh, because we want the outside world to encourage us, which is good. And, and we, we need that. You don't know how much you've encouraged me and your journey is what's encouraged me, not who you are today, but where you were. I don't know how much you want me to get into that. Uh, we're going to go there. This is going to well, be uncomfortable for everyone. We're going there. Don't you know, worry. Um, I, I got to tell you, am I good or bad at being an encourager? I don't at self-encouraging when I used to look at uh, this young lady named B he used to sit outside my office kind of up against the wall. I wish I had a picture of that, my friend. I really do. To you doing this and hoping and hosting this, boy, is that encouragement. Not a word is spoken, but your journey is the encouragement. I appreciate it's me that. encouragement. And you've given me that encouragement, my friend. So although I may have said a, a thing or two in the journey, your journey is the biggest encouragement in your whole equation. It truly on I'm just some dude. Thanks. Well, and I'm I think that, dude, that goes for everyone, right? It's mm -hmm. when we chase that resiliency that we really get to see that path unveiled and the true, the true part of ourselves come out. Um, so I'm going to go there because that was my plan for today. We can't celebrate where we have arrived until we really look back at who we used to be. And I recently ran into a gal who um, she's a, a mental health psychologist and she worked with me and my children at the lowest, I would say really the lowest point in my life. And she reminded me of how broken and how closed off and how my body language was back there, back then. Um, I quite literally couldn't get through a day without just sobbing. Um, and it's so funny because I think there's this accept acceptance that comes over us um, like I remember telling people like, I'm just an emotional person. Like I just, I cry. It's what I do and didn't think or, or even desire anything differently. Cause I didn't know anything differently. So when Ed met me, I was leasing office space from him and his wife. And it was a time in my life. I had just gone through a divorce. I was in a high conflict co-parenting relationship I was working in a family business with a, a little bit of some challenging um, relationships, specifically with one of my with one of my siblings, with my only sibling. Um, I guess if he listens, he'll know that we've got issues. And uh, so, anyway, I um, when he met me, as he describes, I was. I'll, I'll let you tell the story, Ed. Go for it. Don't hold back. I don't know that there's a story. It just, yeah, she uh, was so, she was one big long guessing myself, right? And in a frame of mind where you are not a root attached to any soil, just floating. Yeah. Which is one of the key ingredients of low resilience people. They're not attached to things that matter. That's why they're floating, which is why they're low resilient because the, it could be short-term, I lost my attachment. It could be long-term, I don't know, but they're not attached to. And there's a number of things they're not attached to. You weren't attached to anything. 
you were floating. And when you float, who you are is determined by other people. Mm-hmm. Who you are is determined by your circumstances because you're not attached to the real you. Now, I'm- just through time, you just got attached to you. My friend, I just had an idea. You did all the heavy lifting and you did it because, um, and actually, you know, um, who was it? Uh, Brian, was it Brian brought this up? Brian um, builds, you hear the word he used? See, that's why you gotta be a good listener. You hear things. Brian says you build resiliency. You, resiliency didn't just show up in B's life. B started to build it. And look yeah. where you're at. You built it. Brian built it. You built it. You gotta <laughs> build it. Did I get that right? Was Brian the one who said that? I think. I you believe build so. It. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was me. That was pretty wise, and that's worth listening to because that's how you that's how you go from a four to a ten. It there's no reset button. It didn't show up in your inbox this morning in your email. Mm-hmm. He went out and built it. Absolutely. So, so on that you. note, I want to share some definitions with you guys on what is resiliency? Because oftentimes I find that we almost assume that we understand a label and we really have never dug into the depths of how we define it and how it's defined in our culture. So there's two meaningful definitions. The first is an ability to recover from or adjust easily to adversity, which I feel like is very much in line with that building that ability. Um, And the first I find even more interesting, and that's the ability of something to return to its original size and shape after being compressed or deformed. So that definition for me, after going through a toxic relationship and a high conflict co-parenting situation, I felt like a shell of a person. And the way that Ed describes my demeanor at that time was very much, I was looking for anybody to help me rebuild this person that I lost that really also wasn't me. I had lost a woman who was a product probably of a whole different set of circumstances. And so it was really my first opportunity to even consider that I I could build that resiliency. Um, So on that note, there there, there is a core wiring in all of us, in all of these different personality traits that we have. And I've, I meet people every day and I do identity work. And so I will ask them about themselves. And I cannot tell you how many times somebody will say, I am an Enneagram four. Ed's, I was waiting for Ed to like moan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was an because, internal moan, but go ahead. Yeah, because, well, and it is, it's like, it's almost like we take an assessment and the assessment tells us who we are. And we say, oh my gosh, this is who I am. And out of all of the people that I've met who are all about these internet assessments, nobody ever talks about resiliency or grit. And I have found that it is the biggest personality trait that we either have or don't have that causes us to not chase our goals, to not accomplish what we we know we can do, to um, cause conflict in our relationships. And so uh, that's why today I wanted to get really real about what is resiliency. So I'd love to hear from Ed on your personal definition of resiliency. Great question. And yeah, part of it is a natural ability and, you know, be your assessment actually assess us for that. Right. Right. So let's speak to the folks that are 
um, the folks that are right side, I mean, higher on natural resiliency, um, they tend to not know how to because it's just natural. It's like, how do you breathe in? I don't know. I just did. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Right. It's the folks on the left side that have the challenge with it because they see they're not natural. But here's the thing. It goes now from ability to a willingness. So that definition is more of a willingness to make a decision to build resiliency than the ability to do it. Everybody has the ability. But are they willing to do it? So I want to touch on that. Mm-hmm. So folks that are, he's calling it right side resiliency. And, and that's just a language that we both speak in coaching, but that means a high resilient person. So a high resilient person is someone who, and Ed's wife is high resilient. She's like at the tippy top of the scale in resiliency and it's a natural resiliency. So she, we joke that she will kick a horse that's dead and be like, come on, get up, let's go giddy up. It's like, she doesn't realize that the opportunity is gone. It's over. Cause she's so resilient. She's like obstacle. What? I don't see it. And I know a few of you on the call today are, are wired in that way. People that are wired in that way will oftentimes tell others who aren't as resilient. Hey, just stop caring what they think of you. Why does it matter? Am I right mm-hmm. on that, Ed? Um, well, yes, you can stop caring or you can make something matter more than their opinion. Mm -hmm. right which is the same thing as stop caring here's the thing if you could stop caring you would but low resilient people can't stop and i'm looking at someone who can't stop being left side resilient but what you did do is replaced it with something right so you replaced it with a more productive belief system it stopped itself because there was no room for it but and especially with children when they're low resilient they can't stop well, they're not just going to stop. So when people say, just stop doing that. So why would you be uh, have destructive behaviors? Well, if they could stop, they would stop. Right. But the more effective path is to replace that with something more productive. And there's ways of doing that. I'm going to ask a question because if I don't, um, Ed will put me in a corner because <laughs> I <laughs> want to just speak into it so bad. But I'm just curious, Ed, why do you say you're looking at someone who just can't stop? I assume you're talking about me. It used to be you. You couldn't mm. stop, which was why you didn't spend one day outside my office sitting there. You spent months right? because you couldn't stop. So just saying, stop, stop it. No, that's not how the mind works. No. And I would say at that time, those types of sayings and high resilient people who wanted to help me actually made it so much worse because I wanted to build my identity in their resiliency, which made me so easily influenced towards something that wasn't authentic to me. I was not getting to know my own resiliency because I was trying to almost latch on to others that were more mentally tough or more, um, more easily, uh, willing to face adversity and, and many other things like that. It's funny because Though I feel like I am a resilient person now, and I've learned the tools to show up more resilient, I still get knocked down. Yes, you do. First, I do. And I I, ha- I do. I have to like cheer myself on out of that a lot. So I want to go to the, the positive and negative of being high resiliency first. So we've talked about the positive. The positive is basically they're butt kickers. They're on fire. They're chasing their goals. They're not easily blocked by things that may stop up other people. 
Um, are there any other positives that you can think of, of being high resiliency? Uh, is that a question for me? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, you know, obviously is the, uh, is the time wasted and the, and the sludge in your resiliency engine just isn't there. Right. You don't waste time. You, your engine doesn't bog down. You don't, you don't put miles on, on the engine and there's no bad gas in there. Um, the other positive is you don't take people down with you. See, mm. low, left side resilient people, they want to be validated. They, mm -hmm. they're, they're victims, right? And they want to be validated. See me. Yeah, I see you. But what you don't see about you is you are the weight in your own world. Right. You are your problem. I see that, but you don't. And they want to be validated. Yeah. Yeah. No. Don't yeah. 100%. Right. Is there a negative to being high resiliency? Um, yes. Hard to, re you're not relatable. Mm -hmm. Meaning, okay, so Michael's a nine plus, right? He's a nine plus every day. Now, I know what a nine plus is. I can just ask Michael what a nine plus is. He can tell me, but can he tell me how to get from a four to a nine? Mm -hmm. If you're never a four getting to a nine, how do you tell, how do you show someone the journey to a nine? You can see what the nine is, but can you tell me how to get there? Maybe not because you're never there. Right. Right. And so, I, I find ahead. that one of the negatives that I find in my clients is that they, they have a lot of relationship issues because they they get really frustrated with people who can't pick themselves up and brush themselves off and move on down the road. Right. Okay. Now there's, there's an equation to that. Do you want to dive into that or what's your thought? Sure. Go for it. All right. So Casey, let me ask you a question. Think of someone you really love. You just love them to death. B, I've asked you this. So I don't think I can ask you this question, but okay. Casey, think of someone you really love. I mean, you just love them. Okay, got it. Don't need the name. Now, think of something that you absolutely hate. You hate. Why do you hate them? And I don't mean you hate them because they're never on time or they burn the steak. Just little annoying things. I mean, what do you absolutely hate? Just despise about that person you love. This feels very counterproductive. Go ahead. <laughs> so tell you what I hate about someone that I love. Um, overstepping boundaries. Is that something you just wish they would change? Or do you act, is it actually in the hate? I despise them for it. Or is it just something that you wish was different about them? I wish was different. Right. Um, yeah. Overstepping boundaries along. Uh, they want to help me so much that they almost force it on me when maybe sometimes all I need is someone to listen to me. Okay. And maybe another example of it. And if it's a better example, maybe use this one. Uh, someone that's always filling my calendar with things that they want me to do. Okay. All right. Cool. Now, is that something that you just wish they'd stop doing or like you hate them so bad for that? You don't even want to talk to them again. I uh, wish they would stop doing. I definitely don't right. hate them. Right. All right. Here's the lesson in that. Now there's annoyances there, which is what, you know, I just wish you do just kind of stop doing that, but you can't love and hate at the same time. Mm. If you really love someone, it pushes out hate. In that very minute, if you hate someone, you can't love them. Hate will push out the love. There are, they are opposing understandings. They are opposing perspectives. You can't think them both simultaneously. Here's the problem. When you are left side resilient, you are not grateful. Mm -hmm. When you are grateful, you are, not, you are not resilient. If you ever notice, people who are really, truly grateful 
they're, they push out resilience. They're resilient because they're grateful takes up their mental space. And this is how I move myself from left side to right side is what I'm giving up by being left side resilient, low resilience. I'm sorry, B, by being low resilient is I, I'm giving up gratefulness to do it. And so that's how I choose. I choose which one do I want? Well, what I want to be known for is helpful, encouraging, and I reattach myself to who I want to be, and I'm grateful for me, and it pushes resilience. That puts me right back on track right now. So, you know, Michael's always a nine plus, you know, Casey's got some challenges, Brian's up and down. So, Brian, when you're a four, just know you're, you're something in, going on in your life you are not grateful for at that very minute. We've got Brian and Michael confused, so just... Switch that okay. message, guys. You got uh, it. <laughs> well, I got Brian and Michael confused. Sorry. No, you're fine. I think they they know where we're going with that. Cool. All right. So let's dive into low resiliency because I've got four amazing men on this call that I know. I know all of you personally, um, some more than others, but four really good quality, tough guys. Like I'm going to give them that, that societal label because I do find that men are given these very limiting labels in our world. And I want to share this story of the moment that I found out that I was low resiliency because it changed my life. But I was also in a, a debrief, a meeting with Ed, who was coaching the executives in my company. And my brother and I had always had this really difficult relationship. We'd always, I'd always been the baby of the family. I'm the second born. So I quite literally am the baby of the family, but I was treated like a baby, um, like a drama queen, like a cry baby. Um, I could come up with a lot of other labels and it wasn't even that my brother necessarily called me these things, but his frustration made me feel these things about myself. So we were in a business meeting and we were debriefing the assessment that Ed specializes in. And I always thought that I was a, like a feelings thinker, that I was kind of a, kind of a crybaby. Like if something was discussed and my heart kind of had that ping of sensitivity, then that means I must be a baby and he must be high logic. And it was really interesting because in this meeting, I actually found out that I am kind of in the center of feeling-based and logic-based, which is actually one of my gifts that Ed helped me see is that I can reach folks who are really data-driven and I can reach folks who are really heart-centered and I'm comfortable in the middle of that. And what I also learned in this debrief is that my brother was further feeling-based than I am. And it has taken me years of my own healing to really recognize and understand that he has had to, because of some of those male driven labels that were, that you guys are given in society, he has had to really hide that heart centered nature. And some of those sensitivities he's been mocked probably a thousand fold what I have ever been teased about my emotions. And that has allowed me to really um, have a better relationship with him and also has empowered me to see that I have a gift in that area. In that same meeting, I found out that I'm low resiliency, not low objectivity. And learning that changed my ability to chase the resiliency that I was missing because I had no idea. I just always thought I was a feeling-based thinker. So low resiliency, Ed, describe... 
I'm going to kind of, I'm going to tell you what I remember from that session and what I teach my clients. And that is it, we call it left side resiliency or low resiliency. And that's like anyone on the left side of the halfway mark is someone who they get knocked down. Like they, something lands on that them, it affects them. But as you go farther, low resiliency or left side resiliency, you kind of reach these different levels. So it may be um, someone like me where sometimes I get knocked down and I can't get myself right back up. I need someone to come alongside me and kind of shoulder that burden and, and, you know, get me up, help me kind of dust off my embarrassment or my shame or whatever I'm dealing with and push me forward. I have had two clients that are considered the lowest, um, the lowest rating of resiliency on our assessment. And this is a really difficult place to be. These people get knocked down, they stay down, and sometimes they won't allow someone to help them up because they're just struggling. So I'm curious, I'd speak into what you see in folks that are low resiliency. The issue that is driving the low resiliency is 100% of their pizza pie, mm-hmm. right? And I remember asking B, I don't know, years ago, tell me what you like about yourself. And you gave me, <laughs> you had one. Yeah, I don't think a, I even had one. Right. And so here's the thing. We are all made up of a lot and we just call it pizza because it's a graphically good way of putting it together. So if you were to take you and, and dice you and slice you up into a bunch of you's, like all that's you. This is getting right? morbid. No, I'm <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, your psyche, your emotions, the, you know, the the purpose in your life, right? So, if you were to take a look at that whole thing, who are you really? What we lose, con- what we lose conscious sight of is who we are, and so the issue that's causing low resiliency becomes a hundred percent of us, mm-hmm. and that is all of us, and we forget the rest of us is still there, and so. You, the the challenges you had at that time was 100% of you. So, all right. So what? who else, who are you? You got up to 75 different pieces. Yeah, I wish I had it sitting here. I'd show I it have it. it. If you want me to share my screen, I can show it. Oh yeah, do it. Here's, I will do it. Here's why I say that. I show it all the time. You are my um, star child in a lot of my coaching, just so you know, right? Thanks. You're welcome. And so, um, and so, what you did is you started saying, uh, I'm a good dancer. Okay. Well, then not being, and then you're also were a, a, a good mom. Okay. Well, there's two now. And then you were a good friend. You're my friend. And so you're a good friend. Okay. So you're able to do that. You get to a point where you can start telling 70 pieces of who you are that one piece of who you are not is now only 2% of you. Yeah. It is no longer 100% of you. So how you get from left to right, low to high, is to put things in perspective. Yeah, I get it. So I'm not, and this was a challenge I had in corporate America. I'm not a good politician. And other people made me, made that 100% of me. Mm -hmm. That was me. And so I had low self-esteem there because I wasn't good at politics. Well, now the truth is I don't really care, you know, (laughs) couldn't care because I got 70 other things that I like about me. It's so funny. I'm going to have to bleep this on the, the playback. 
um, and Mike, Mike Ham, this is this one's for you. One of my final slices on my pie, and I I did the share screen, Ed, so you'll be able to share it now. Um, one of my final slices of my pie was fuck badass, which yeah. like the little girl crying outside of Ed's office, this little pathetic single mom who couldn't like I couldn't deal with life. I could not handle anything. And here I am like, I don't know what, six, eight months later. And I'm like, I'm a badass. (laughs) It was so not me. And every time I see my pie or share my pie, which by the way, my audience and clientele is not like, they don't, I'm not, I don't talk like that very often. I mean, it's not the go-to for me, but that was such an empowering, like, I am awesome. Like, hear me roar. I can do anything. And and that I remember for me being kind of that first taste of what resiliency was like, um, because I just hadn't hadn't had any. Cool. B, can you see it? No. Yeah, now we can. Okay. Now understand we went from nothing. Like, who are you? She didn't say networker uh, worthy. Uh, designing life wise, good sister, sister in law. I'm a family cultivator. Uh, on the other side, I mean, I'm enthusiastic. You know, what she was was I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. And look, look where you ended up. So that one piece you had to work on, it is such an infinitesimal small piece of you. Yeah, you went and from those, nothing to this. Those original negative labels are labels that don't belong to me anymore. I've, I have actually lost them. They're not on my pie anymore. And this really helped me with intentionality around that. Cause, and I want those who are watching, who are live on the call here. Um, and, and maybe I'll find a way to share this with those who are, are on the replay. Um, the, the things that are on this list began as what we would call kind of normal, role-based labels like ex-wife is on here, sister is on here. Um, and those, those are just roles I play, right? They're just a part of my world. They're not a part of my identity. And what was so cool for me on this was really getting underneath those labels and realizing that I had all of these gifts and all of these pieces of the pie that I quite literally had never seen in myself, like right. coachable stands out here for me. Yeah. Um, I was so insecure that I would just not ask. I just wouldn't ask questions. I wouldn't, I would, I was that me monster relator. I would just try to kind of talk, talk past all of my struggles so that I could stop like crying in my life. (laughs) And so this was such a huge exercise for me and really digging deeper into parts of my identity. And now this has become like a healthy obsession for me. Like I love really digging deeper and deeper into who I really am and what makes me really tick. So I appreciate you sharing right. this. You're welcome. And for the folks that have children, it's great exercise for your kids when they come home and huh, I didn't make the football team. Um, you know, you know, Tommy or Cindy, they're going out to play with someone else and they don't want me to come along with them. Right. Okay. So that's only one little slice of their life. That's not who they are. Right. So keep them in touch with who they are. Important to put them in touch with that before the low resilient event comes. So when it hits you, it's just one piece of you and they get the concept. Right. I want to key in on this too, Ed, because you make such a good point about that from a parenting perspective. And this can be used if you are a high resilient person 
with anyone in your life who isn't wired like you. So someone that you struggle or that they struggle to relate to how tough you are. Um, I find we have these really silly societal like statements that we make, um, like sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me or hurt you or whatever. Um, and that's not the perfect example in this case, but we, we do this with our kids all the time where our kids come home and they say something and they're feeling down and we give them these statements like, oh, they're just jealous. No, like that's literally handing your child a label and you don't know what the label is because they've translated it as something else. And they're then going to store that as part of their identity. I can't tell you how many times in my life I heard that, that, oh, they're just jealous or something similar. And because of that, I learned to lower myself down to relate to others or to not threaten others. And all that did was cause me to align myself with people who didn't really deserve my energy or space. And again, yep. if I take me back six years to the me that was crying outside of Ed's office, the, the result really of that was I gave my gifts and my awesome energy and my spirit away to people who were not treasuring me as a person and who were not acknowledging my strengths and all of my value. Mm-hmm. So Ed, True. is there, is there a positive? I think I, this is hard for me to even ask, but is there a positive to being left side resilience? And I'm not necessarily talking where you're so knocked down, you can't get yourself back up, but just where you're, you, you are affected by others. Things do land on you. Is there, is there a positive? Uh, yes. If you're willing to learn the positive in that. All right. And so what Casey brought up is he was not able to live a life in alignment with his priorities. Something tells me he was not able to live a life in alignment with his values either. And so there's a lesson to learn in that. And left side resilient people are really good at learning lessons or Mm -hmm. can be. And they become very relatable because now Casey can share that story. Look what happens when you're not in alignment with your priorities. It's not sustainable. Right. It's just not. And so um, the truth of it, what he, what he was able to do is say, this is what's true. And go towards the truth. Handle what's really true. Well, now he's the perfect guy to go tell someone else that because he did it. Right. So, you know, the next time you see someone kind of battling that, move towards the truth faster. I love it. Yeah. And I think one of the things I was having such a hard time with for the last six months was I'm a people pleaser big time Mm -hmm. and I hate hurting and I hate disappointing people. It's one of my most horrible, least favorite things to do is to let somebody down or to hurt somebody or to disappoint somebody. So that's been what was so, what was weighing on me for the last few months was how this was going to impact. I knew it was right for me and what I needed for me if I was focusing on my priorities and me. But I was so hung up on how it was going to impact um, the other party and the people around me. Uh, how does that relate to the res- the topic of resiliency? Totally. I'll tell you how I see it. And B, do you want me to, I just jumped in there. So yes. Yeah, yes, go for I, it. That's what I do. All right. Just All so right. everyone so, knows, I want to be like Ed when I grow up. So this is the well, best first episode that. for me ever. <laughs> thank go you for very it. much. Your kind words are very endearing. So thank you very much. And you know my situation too. 
uh, with some kids. And so you, um, have, you've actually played quite a nice role in filling, filling some, an empty bucket there. And so thank you back. Okay. Yeah, likewise. Right. Here's the thing. I call it the downside of accountability. Uh, what, here's the, an interesting case you brought up is we want so bad for you to be what we want you to be, but you're not. Um, I want to please you, but you're not pleasable. And we try so hard to please, but they're not pleasable. Have you ever heard that saying be love, love thy neighbor? Mm -hmm. If your neighbor was lovable, it'd be easy to love them. Mm -hmm. You can only love a neighbor who wants to be loved in to a degree. You can love them, but they also have to accept it. Well, what Casey's describing is I want you to be pleased. And so they keep trying and keep trying. And it's like, it's like, Brian, you're the jujitsu dude. It's like Brian seeing someone else get out an orange belt, get out on the mat and say, no, do this, do that. Hit him back, get behind him, get on top, get your base underneath you. He keeps saying that, but they won't do it. And you keep getting them to do it, but they won't. And it affects us. And we have to learn, we can only please them to the degree that they're able to be pleased. We can only help them with being accountable to the degree that they are able to understand it and be it. And we can't give them more. So my role is to demonstrate it. My role is to tee it up, but their role is to grab it. And once you realize that, it really helps you go from that driver of low resiliency. How come you, I can't please you, to you're not pleasable. Once we understand that, we can no longer make it about us. I teed it up just fine. Mm -hmm. You didn't take it. I'm going to add a little this. you and you know it. That's probably why you're smiling I am, right now. No. And it's so funny. And I, I think I, it, yeah, there's so much underneath this unpack. We could do a whole nother episode on people pleaser. Um, I, I was, I don't, I don't even know that I knew I was a people pleaser because it was such a system for me. And I think so much of that can be rooted in our childhoods and in our first romantic relationships or, um, you know, a teacher that said something to us, you know, at a certain age. And that's where I think it's so important that we can realize that there is an element of low resiliency is that owning that is what makes you go, Oh, I think I'm a, I think I'm a people pleaser. Like, I think I am self-sacrificing in every area of my life to the point where I don't even have anything left. Like, I don't know who I am. I don't know right. what makes me tick. I've never felt loved or seen or heard or credible or have, I have no authority. Like all of those things to me were struggle. And like Ed was saying, they were the entirety of my pie. And all it was causing me to do is continue to put myself in situations where more was being sucked out of me. Right. Um, toxic relationship after toxic relationship after toxic relationship. And luckily for me, it was so focused on romantic relationships that it allowed me to really start to deal with it. And so for me, I have had this really harsh conversation with myself that says self-sacrifice is lying. Self-sacrifice mm -hmm. is in direct conflict with one of my core values, which is being honest. And that burns in yeah. like every time. And it's not gone. Every time I pull out that people pleaser tag, every time I have to be assertive or blunt or honest and have those hard conversations, like the inside of me just wants to scream because it's so uncomfortable. But at the same time, I have to recognize that I'm not being honest. 
AFI yep. people, please. Correct. You're not being honest. All right. So what you did is you told the truth and you moved towards the truth faster. See what you did? Mm -hmm. You told the truth. That's just the truth of it. I got a question for Brian. All right. So, all right, Brian, you're on the mat. You're in a match with someone and they hit you and you stop and you think about that and you wonder about that and it crosses your mind. What does that mean? What happens if you are on the mat with another black belt and you stop? What happens? You lose. You lose. Why? Because you have to keep moving. You can't react Do you to hear the that? response. Did you hear that? Mm -hmm. Keep moving. The number one solution to left side resilience is keep moving. Right? Keep moving. And don't react to what just happened. Keep moving. I don't know what moving looks like, but move. Because right. the move reveals the next move. The opponent's not just going to show you their weakness. They're not just going to say, hey, when you're behind me, I move left slowly. I don't sit out fast. They're not just going to say that. You have to move, which makes them do something that reveals a weakness. Keep moving. And the world is the same way. The world is throwing all kinds of love and warmth at you. Grab it in your heart and enjoy your day. But the world is not a fun place either. It hits you hard. Mm -hmm. Okay, when it hits you hard, don't just sit there and think about it. Keep moving. You have to move. Or your opponent called the world, that mean person at work, that, that you know, negative person at work, which one of you described, that they're going to keep hitting you. You have to keep moving. Move. And the next move will show up. It's the first step to moving right to resilience and improving the level of your resilience. You got to move. Okay. I have one more thing. This is one of the first exercises that Ed taught me that kickstarted my resiliency and what, and how he started to teach me resiliency is he, he first taught me how to realize or recognize when I was letting something land on me. And truly it felt like the world was kicking me in the face. Like, and I wasn't moving. I was like, hit me again. Like, yes. let me have some more. And I find that when I do that first piece of, of, of resiliency exercise towards building and towards moving, oftentimes I have clients who refuse. They refuse to get out of the way from what is being thrown at them, from what is from that kick, so to speak. And so you've asked me this a million times and I, for what feels like several years have been like, I, I don't know, is it this, is it this? And I've never received an answer from you. And I wonder if there's a purpose in that. And so today I'm going to ask you, why do, why do people stay so committed to the negatives that are being thrown at them to those kicks that are landing on them? Why do we want to lose? Why do we want to lose? Because there's actually an energy in it. As negative as it is, it's very relatable. This is me. See, it's mm. easy to validate it in my own mind. Now, what Brian just said, moving, if you, what we want to do is know how to move. What does that move look like? So we can do it, but it works the exact opposite. You have to just move. In a way, you don't even know if it's going to pay off you, but you got to move. And then that move shows you the next move. 
We don't know what that is. So it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But getting validated on, I suck, it's really easy. Because the world is more than willing to validate you suck. Oh, we hear this every day. We hear people complaining every day. I saw recently. Go ahead. Recently, I was at our, our town has this star lighting and I got there early to help with my church. And I watched these two women that worked for the city walk by and they were just, I mean, complain city, like talking about who I would presume as a coworker and just, you know, just that chatter, that really negative, like she's so messed up and it just, you can t- take your imagination. Right. Mm-hmm. And then about 20 minutes later, one of the gals walked back with a different gal and they were complaining about yet someone else. And I was thinking, man, I wonder if that's the other gal that wasn't, you know, like, did they just swap? Um, but that is such the system of our culture of, of, and I, oh my gosh, I was like the worst at this. Like I could focus on the problems with like all of the intention in the world because my struggle was my entire pie. It was all I had yes. to talk about. Now, let me ask you this. When those gals were talking, when you were talking, were you thinking what you're grateful for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Were you? So you can't, you can have both thoughts at the same time. I've never heard that. Oh, I wasn't in the conversation. I noticed them. Oh, oh you mean when oh. I was before? No, absolutely not. Yes. Were those gals, the old, re- the old you, the old me that could get together with my girlfriends and complain up a storm. Um, yes. No, I was not thinking about what I was because I didn't have anything to be grateful for. Like so. at that time, I had created a life where I was I was in full self-sacrifice. I had no perceived self-value and I hated it. I was like, this is awful. What yes. did I why did I you make this life this way? They're not moving. Right. So to get out of left side resiliency, do a Brian move. Number two, think of what you're grateful for because you can't, you can't be that and miserable at the same time. Right. Number three, do a Casey. Understand, tell the truth of what your priorities and values are and go do that. Tell the truth. Michael, he's always a nine. I don't know how to do that because no, I'm never always them, a nine. <laughs> you've got him confused. Michael, Michael, Michael is not always a nine. We, okay. I ride the roller coaster, bud. Yeah. Oh, Mike, Michael the, rides the roller coaster. Oh, yeah. Right. And right, he's well, just Brian's as amusing. He's equally as amusing as that right. description. Now, Brian so also fun. brought up a very critical point that has to ha- be talked about here. What Brian does, he doesn't wait for a low resilient moment to come to him and then add gas to his tank. He's adding gas to his tank when there's no problems in life. He's right. found that in his uh, in his craft, right? In his martial arts craft. He fills his tank before the problem. Michael, go fill your tank more aggressively and assertively. Do something that fills your tank. So when the events come that can trigger a left side resi- or a low resilient moment, you've got a full tank like Brian. Okay, no. I'm sorry. I'm jumping in here because this is why I, I don't think I ever disagree with you. I'm too afraid because he's oh <laughs> he'll come in with a kick and knock me down. Um, no, I struggle with this and I, I really want to hear the group kind of weigh in on this. And then from there, we'll go into kind of a Q&A. I struggle with this because there are just these labels in our culture that are really hard to own. So they're really uncomfortable to say, 
you know, I'm a, a subjective thinker. I think with my heart first because that's seen as such a weakness in our society. And I would say resiliency is one of those things that it makes people uncomfortable when I say, oh, I'm naturally low resiliency and I have to really work hard to show up more thick skinned or with more intention or whatever it is. And I find like, sorry, Brian, uh, no, this is no offense to you at all, but I yeah. find when I'm compared to someone who's naturally high resilient, I almost have like a, a hesitation. Cause I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want it to come that easy. And that's probably my left side resiliency, like my, all my insecurities stewing here, but I, I almost feel like, um, having too much of something isn't a good thing. Like we should be able to see both sides. Is that my left side resiliency? Who are you asking? You. Yeah. Does the group have a good, <laughs> I'd like to hear from someone. Okay. I would like to interject if I could. Go for it. Um, I'm not, I'm left side resilient. I think I'm, a, I relate to a lot of what you guys have spoken to about, um, thinking and responding through emotion. I've been told I'm overly sensitive when I was young. Mm. I cry a lot. Um, I struggled with self-worth. My self-worth was very low. Um, as low as it could be, I think, um, in some ways I would get knocked off of kind of where I was at and I would need that affirmation from outside people and I'd wear them out. I think, uh, they never admitted to that, but I would rotate through friends, you know, and, uh, it wasn't until I found myself and loved who I was and started building from there. I'd say that was probably seven or eight years ago. And then that's been a huge process through therapy and coaching. I embraced both of them um, to the point where I have consistently been building resilience in my life and recognizing I needed to do that. And then recognizing when my tank was low. Um, so I'll be at a, I would say an eight uh, most of the time, unless something hits me and it will bump me down to a four. Um, and then it's, it's curious to me to see how long I stay at a four. It's not very long. It's less than a day. It's usually just a couple hours, depending on the significance of what triggered me from whatever it may have been in my childhood or something that was hard. Um, but then what I tend to do is exactly what uh, we're speaking to, which is move and then find what I'm grateful for and then settle into my values. And then through that process, um, I've had to find, um, I generally find that in myself, I've noticed, I find that in myself, uh, it's, it's significant if I seek that affirmation from outside people or a close friend that I truly know, I I'm very wise in who I seek counsel from now. And those can be only people I trust that I really know who I am. Um, those ones I'll speak to or talk to if I need encouragement to help me get through to become back to a high resilience space. Um, but I found as I've built that my fluctuation is like less. So my resilience goes maybe from like a six to an eight versus like a two to a 10, you know? So like the, the emotional tsunami or whatever, you know, the highs and the lows are smaller 
So it's just more like kind of a, a tighter baseline. Um, and that's helped significantly. And, and I don't want to label myself with uh, low resilient or high resilient. I feel like I am me. And mm-hmm. my resilience is in what I bring to the table. So there's, there's the things that I'm, I recognize as things I want to work on and like build and strengthen in myself. And then parts of me that I seek and go to and go, Hey, that's a strong part of me. I'm going to pull that into this right now. Cause I need that. I need that to, to just sink into that part of me right now. And um, so that's kind of my input. Thank you. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Ed, I'm like, dive in, Ed, go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love questions. All right. Would you say you're um, on the subject of the, resi- let's just call it a, a, a short-term resiliency rebound. Are you better at the rebound now? Meaning you don't, you go from an eight to a, you're no longer eight to four, you're eight to six. And is the duration shorter? Are you better at rebounding? Yes, I'm way better at rebounding. How and did the you only- get better? Hmm. Uh, consistently building myself up. So it's like the little things, I think it's where um, it's the number one thing was gratitude. So for the last three years, I've had a word for each year. The first year I was going through a big divorce two years ago. It was a toxic relationship. Um, That year was joy. I just felt like this sense of peace and joy in myself because I had been building myself to that point where I knew who I was and I was recognizing now this ability to self-express where I could then be fully myself and, and nurture myself as opposed to, and even just now in this last months, I've been recognizing how I need to nurture myself more than just the people around me because I am an encourager as well. I'm an empathic person. But I have those. Everything that I need is within me. Everything that I need for myself and the encouragement I need for myself or to build myself up is within myself. And so I've been digging deeper awesome. into myself to find that. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Now, let me just let me recap that just in a relatable sense. How do you get good at anything? Practice. Done. Do you guys hear that? resiliency is actually practice every solution to resiliency is is a verb and he used practice build and nurture those are all verbs but what we what left side and low resilient people the reason they stay there is because they want to have it given to them they want to realize something they want to well realize a verb too but you know they want to have it given to me everything he said was an action he took Oh, that's so interesting because in our eyes, in us low resilient folks, we think it comes easy to guys like Brian. Mm, interesting, right? He's just been practicing more than you do. Uh-huh. Amen. He's, been, he's just been practicing. I love it. Well, on that note, I would love to open up the room. We've got just a few more minutes. And if you guys need to hop off, feel free to. Um, I want to thank you guys because today was a real push for my natural low resiliency. Um, and I've been really avoiding leadership in this way for a while. And it's cool. Cause I know you guys are all showing up to support me, um, just cause you know me personally and you believe in what I'm doing, but I also hope that you learned something from 
my mentor and from me and from just having conversation and an open connection with each other. So um, go ahead and unmute. And if you guys have any questions for Ed, go ahead and dive in and we'll just kind of chat on our way out. Yeah, and I'm I got to run real quick. So okay. let me chime in real quick. Uh, I'm getting pulled into another meeting, so I got to drop. Thank you so much for having us and uh, the Live Bearded crew. It's good to meet you guys. <laughs> yeah. My last name is Beard. Does that qualify me? It does. <laughs> <laughs> so for those listening who aren't seeing this picture, there are three men with nice full beards and mustaches. Just, you know, kind of that. I'll show you Mike Ham's logo when we get done because his logo looks like him. Um, and then Ed's last name is Beard. So yeah, the bearded crew. That's cool. But I'm yeah. the only one who was born that way. <laughs> right. I'm not born with this. Well, well Ed, thanks. thanks and good to meet you. Good to meet Be, you. Great to see you. Uh, thanks, I got to go. Thank you guys. Have a good day. Yeah. See ya. Mike, you <clears throat> unmuted? Yeah, I did. Uh, I'm very glad that Brian, because I was going to say this, and then Brian kind of went down his like clarification of himself after. Um, and he looks like a more bad version of me. So like, I didn't want to say like the wrong thing, but I think that I was going to say, uh, and I'm glad that he said that he wasn't always at an eight, because I think I've said this to you before, B like people that say that they're always at like an eight or a nine are so full of it. We'll just say it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that like any day, like, so, you know, Ed asked me earlier, if I go, if I can remember a time when I'm at a four, of course, I mean, you can be at like those high levels all the time, but you don't know what like the next day is going to be or the next day is going to be. And it could be like the worst day of your life. And you, you're going to tell me that you're going to show up as like an eight or a nine on that day. Like, mm -hmm. no, no, thank you. But what the only thing that you can control is like, like when I, if I'm a four, I'm going to be the best effing four you've ever seen in your entire life. And then that's <laughs> yeah. going to get me to eight the next day, or even just get me, get me to like a six and we'll operate there. But I think like that's something where, you know, like people that uh, like you said, fill, like fill up the tank more when times are good. But like it just uh, to me, it's just an awareness that like that's why I call it the roller coaster, because like, you know, that the low is going to come after that high. You might go like a little bit higher the next time, but that low is coming. Uh, but, you know, after that low, there's going to be a high coming. And it's not it's you know, it doesn't always go like this, but sometimes it's going to do like a loop. Sometimes you're going to twist a little bit. Um, but it's just like that awareness of knowing that like, like you got to be in this moment and then be a hundred percent as much as you as possible in that moment, given the circumstances. And then that's what helps you kind of progress to the next day. So I have no problem being a two one day. Like I know there's going to be a two coming. We haven't had one in a little bit, but like a couple months ago, I had like twos like every fucking day. Sorry. I already I got Mike to filter on my show. Yeah. Well, I was trying miracle. really hard, but it just, it just comes out. I can't, I'm from Jersey. It's like how we talk. It's part of our language. Um, but yeah. So like, I mean, I, I think that this was really cool. And again, like congratulations on finally getting it launched and all that kind of stuff, but it was cool to like talk it out. And, you know, like I, I, you know, we've had some conversations and I always joke that I'm probably not like your target audience. Cause some of the stuff that you're saying, I have no idea what it means, um, but I do think that there's a lot of good to it uh, and benefit to it for people that like, even if they don't think about it all the time, like me, and just like kind of analyzing like how I'm feeling every particular day, like we're just going with it, you know, and we'll, we'll figure it out on the fly as we go. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you for having me. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. I have one final question on our way out. 
And that is because there are, I mean, I'm the only female representing here, but I want to talk about this gender component really quickly. Is there a, is there a commonality to men being high resilient and women being low resilient or vice versa? And is there a social pressure for men to show up more resilient and for women to show up less resilient? I think that that's for sure. I think that there is a social pressure for men to be resilient, especially men with beards. Apparently we look like badasses, and we have to act like it uh, for us to show vulnerability or what I, I think that that shows resilience, you know, but in society, I think society sees that and they're unsure of what it means or how to interpret it. Um, I think women tend to be much more resilient than we give them credit for. Um, at least the women in my life are very resilient. Um, and I respect them very much for that, but, um, that's my two cents. Cool. Anybody else? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, between the two statistically, no, now I'm not talking about societal pressure, but I'm just saying natural behavior statistically. No, there's not <clears throat> a lot of difference there, but yes, societal pressure. Uh, I think Brian's spot on. Yeah. Cool. So we have different wait. tags, right? Yeah. yeah. I think men are much better at hiding that they're mm -hmm. not resilient. Well, and it, this is why I asked, because as a female, um, and I, you know, it's so funny because I renamed this show, my self-worth is a size zero. And so much of how I've been mislabeled in my life has to do with what I look like on the outside. And women have been the harshest on me. Women have been the most mm. brutal um, but in an, in an effort to relate to my, my gender side of things and, and men too, I think I've often lowered myself down instead of feeling like I had to wear that, that really those, those labels that make you have to show up more strong. So I do see some, some kind of divide in that way with gender roles. So I appreciate you guys weighing in on that. You're welcome. Um, so for those listening, if you want to dive into next week's conversation, we are going to be doing the struggle pie, um, that Ed brought up today and really diving into what more is underneath some of these labels that we're wearing and underneath the struggle that we have perfect time of year, because all of us are going to be spending time with family members, um, and extended family members and the holidays bring up all kinds of BS. So it'll be a great time to dive into um, who you are, what you stand for, and the labels that you want to be wearing going into 2023. Um, the Emboldened Label community, if you want to be a part of it, email me at b at emboldenlabel.com. I will drop a link in the show notes. And this is going to be a messy launch, but we're just going to keep going with it because it seems to be working. So thank you guys for joining us, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, my friends.